The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into our lesson. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for the privilege to, to be a church together, for uniting us as believers. You could have united um, each one of us in, in, any, in any local church, but you united us in this church, and we thank you for that. We thank you for bringing us together in the common bond of, of worship, of praise, of thanksgiving, of service, and honor to you. And Lord, we just pray that you teach us the, the scriptures this morning, and in particular, Lord, such a difficult topic. I just pray that you'd help me to teach it correctly. And we just uh, give you the thanks and praise for this time together as we gather around the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have been talking about the judgment of God being according to truth. The judgment of God is according to truth. Be sure about that. And this is part three in our discourse on chapter two of Romans, Romans chapter two. And this judgment is specifically, God is specifically talking to the Jews here, as we've mentioned. And so let's look at Romans chapter two and verses 25 through 29. We are slowly Whittling our way, working our way towards the end of the chapter here. Romans chapter 2 and verse 25. And we'll be going through verse 29. So verse 25, for circumcision verily profiteth, or surely profiteth, if thou keep the law. Now that's a big if right there, isn't it? If thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, a violator of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So if you break the law, it's as if you were never even circumcised. Verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, this is speaking to Jew, our, our Gentiles here, which were referred to as the uncircumcised, right? Or the uncircumcision as a collective whole. And uh, uh, therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, and that's a big if too, right? Is it any easier for Gentiles, for us, to keep the law perfectly? No, right? But supposing they could, right? Supposing we could. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So, I think one of the the points to bring out here is that circumcision was not necessary for eternal life. Right? I mean, keeping the law perfectly would be, right? If you could. But not circumcision. So, it wasn't keeping the law plus circumcision. And that's important to note as we delve deeper into this whole topic of circumcision and the covenant of circumcision. Verse 27, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, again, speaking of the Gentiles, if it fulfill the law, judge judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision 
does transgress the law. Verse 28, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. He is not a Jew which is one by birth. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. So, not an external work or act. It's not an outward circumcision that is necessary to be justified before God. Verse 29, But he is a Jew. He's a true Jew, right? He's a true spiritual Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, which speaks of what? Regeneration, right? Regeneration of the heart. The Bible says, in the Spirit. Regeneration is not of man, but of who? Of God, right? In the Spirit, and not in the letter, not in the letter of the law, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So salvation is to the praise of God, and a work that is entirely or exclusively of God. So Paul's target audience is still the Jews, as we continue on in chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. And he continues to challenge them on their misplaced confidence in believing God's judgment would be favorable to them. And Paul seemingly is leaving no stones unturned here as he addresses the law and then he addresses circumcision and he's He's kind of almost boxing them into a corner, right? But with Scripture, right? Not with his own, you know, made his own opinions or, or man's philosophy, but using God's philosophy, using the Word of God. And so, in this case, Paul was leaving no external work uncontested and unopposed. Why was Paul doing this? For the purpose of demonstrating and establishing justification is unquestionably, without question, by the grace of God. In the remaining verses in chapter 2, Paul considers the right and act of circumcision for the procurement of God's favor, acceptance, and justification of the Jew. The Jews viewed circumcision as an initiatory and distinctive right of their religion without which they believed they could not be saved. The rite of circumcision was a stronghold of the Jewish faith, by which the Jew thought his eternal security and standing with God was most secure, being more ancient than Moses, having been given in covenant to Abraham, and thereby particularly distinguishing the Jews from all other nations. So even the, the rabbis taught, uh, not only in, in Paul's time, but through the ages, the rabbis taught that, the, that circumcision would keep the Jew from hell, that God would not allow the Jew to go to hell if he was circumcised. And even Abraham would prevent the Jew from going to hell if he was circumcised. So this was this belief that the Jews' eternal security was secure in circumcision was a very deep and widely held belief of the Jews. So let's look at the, I think it's important, right, to go back and, and look at this covenant of circumcision and, and uh, 
how it happened and why it happened. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 17, if you would, and let's look at verses 1 through 14. Genesis 17, 1 through 14. What was circumcision all about? What was its purpose? Why did it happen? Genesis 17, verses 1 through 14. Let's look at verse 1 now. The Bible says, And when Abraham was 90 years old and 9, or 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. And so the Lord here is appearing in a visible manner. And most likely, this was a Christophany. This was Christ himself. The Logos, right? The Word of God that John 1.14 talks about. Jesus being the Word of God. The Bible goes on to say, And said unto him, I am the Almighty God. I am the All-Powerful. I am the Omnipotent God. Walk before me. And this was said not that Abraham wasn't walking with God, but that he would continue to walk with the Lord. That he would continue to walk by faith and dependence upon God. And as Christians, that this is how we are to walk. And that Abraham would walk in obedience to all of his commands and ordinances just as we should walk. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by keeping these commands of God. We're not saved by keeping these ordinances. But we do please God. And we do benefit from pleasing God. So, Almighty God says to Abraham here, continue to walk by faith and dependence and obedience to me. And God says this, notice, this is even before the law is given. We are always, always to obey God. We are always to glorify and honor God. Amen? The Bible goes on to say here, and be thou perfect. And a lot of times, when we're looking at the New Testament, that word perfect means spiritually mature. But in this case, it means sincere. right? Sincere in acts of faith. It does mean spiritually upright, which you have to have spiritual maturity to be Spiritually upright. It means to be holy. It means to be unblameable in life and conversation. Verse 2, Genesis 17, 2, And I will make my covenant. What covenant is God specifically talking about here? Circumcision, right? The covenant of circumcision. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. Now, why did God do this? According to the Lord's sovereign good pleasure. So, who can uh, turn to Deuteronomy in chapter 7 and verse 7 and 8 and read that back to us? I need a deep, strong voice. Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 through 8. Who would like to read that for us this morning? Get a little participation from you. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. Okay, Brother Gerritz, thank you. 
So the Lord chose Abraham and chose the Israelites. Why? Why does the Bible say that he chose them? Love, right? So then the question is, well, why did God love them? Were they a great, powerful nation? Why did God love them? Because... Of his sovereign will. He chose to. The Bible says his good pleasure, right? Why does God save us? We all deserve to go to hell. Why does God save some of us so that we don't all go to hell? Why? His glory, but because of his love, right? Of his love, out of his good pleasure, right? Okay. All right. Now, Acts 7 8, who would like to. Look at that, because this is the fulfillment, right, of the the promise. And God is kind of renewing his promise to Abraham here, because he had actually told Abraham before, right, that he would would establish a covenant with him, that he would bless him with a mighty nation. And we find its fulfillment in Acts 7, verse 8. So who would like to read that this morning? Okay, Brother Matt, thank you. Right, which were the 12 tribes, right? The 12 patriarchs. And it's important to know here that God's, God's blessing was primarily upon Isaac, right? And uh, his children through Sarai, right? Isaac and Jacob and so forth through Israel. Okay. Especially when we think of the spiritual blessings that come, that come from this covenant. Okay. All right, so the Lord is gracious to bless, right? He was gracious to bless Abraham, and the Lord is gracious to bless us, is he not? All because of his love for us. All because of his good pleasure. Amen. It was not circumcision that was the blessing, but the covenant for which it represented between God and Abraham and Abraham's posterity. The Bible goes on to say here in verse 2, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And as I say, God is really renewing this, this commitment, this promise to Abraham. God also mentions this promise in Genesis 15, verse 5. To greatly multiply Abraham's seed with Sarai, with Sarah, of which the Jewish nation would issue forth from in great abundance which at this time had not yet been fulfilled. And then in Genesis 12, verse 2, the Bible says, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. The Lord renews His promise to Abraham, which may also be intended to include 
not only Abraham's natural seed, but his spiritual seed among all nations who share the same faith with Abraham. And therefore, share in the same assurance with God as Abraham did. Genesis 17.3, And Abraham fell on his face at the presence, at the very sight of our glorious Lord. Demonstrating his humility before God. His reverence. His thankfulness. Can you imagine that? Being in the very presence of God. And God speaking to you face to face. The Bible says, and God talked with him. God talked with Abraham, saying, verse 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. As unworthy as Abraham was to receive it, God's covenant was with him. God is most faithful to keep his covenants, isn't he? Let's look at Deuteronomy 7 9, and I would like a volunteer to read that as well. Deuteronomy 7 9. Okay, go ahead, Gareth. Hold on a second. Let's let everybody get there, and then I'll have you speak up just a a, a little bit there. That's a. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, just try to sound out there, if you would. Thank you very much. God is faithful to keep His covenant. God is faithful to keep His promises. Amen. And God is faithful to keep His promises to us. We will be with Him throughout eternity. Those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of our dear sister, Mrs. Silva, who went home to be with the Lord, she's in the very presence of God right now. And we find comfort in that, right? Consolation. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. And that's a covenant I would like to have. (laughs) I would like to have a covenant with God, right? And we do as believers, do we not? We have a covenant. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So this, this blessing was not just to Isaac, right, and Jacob, and the line of the Messiah. It was to all of Abraham's seed. And indeed, Abraham would be the father of many nations. Many Arabian nation, the Turks, the Turkish people, and the line of Ishmael by Hagar. Remember, Abraham and his wife became a little patient waiting on God. And, and Abraham had a child with Hagar. The Midianites and others in the, in the line of his sons by Keturah. The Israelites in the line of Isaac. And the Edomites in the line of Esau. So even though Jacob stole Esau's birthright, he still was blessed by God. Why? 
this covenant with Abraham, right? This covenant of circumcision. Verse 5, Neither shall my name any more be called Abram, which means high father, but thy name shall be Abraham. Which adding that, just that A-M in Arabic changes, changes the meaning of Abram to Abraham from high father to father of a multitude or numerous offspring. For a father of many nations have I made thee. Abraham's name was now signifying the blessing and promise God had made to him in this covenant of circumcision. Verse 6, And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And what is God talking about here? What's the fruit? Children, right? Many children. I don't have many children, but I have enough. I have enough. Alright, Psalm 127, verses 3-5. through five. Lo! I like that, right? Lo, hey! This is important. Children are in heritage of the Lord. They're an inheritance from the Lord. Especially those in Christ, right? Especially those that the Lord saves. Gives them saving faith. There will be an inheritance with you forever. If you have also received the Lord. Amen? We love our children. I'm looking forward to being with them forever. I know you are too. Though children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty hunter, Eric could probably <laughs> relate to this, those, the arrows of a mighty hunter. <laughs> As the arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. They'll be there to support you, to stand for you, to take care of you in your older age. They'll be a blessing to you. So I believe God here is speaking in a natural and a spiritual sense. The King Messiah would come forth from Abraham. Verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee. Again, the Lord renewing and confirming the covenant. And how did God do that? By the token of circumcision. By the token or sign or seal. All these words are synonymous to mean the same thing. I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant. A perpetual covenant to Abraham's seed until Christ the Messiah came in whom circumcision had its fulfillment. The Bible goes on to say, to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. God's presence and providence was with Abraham and his seed 
so long as they worshipped Him and were obedient unto Him. And what happened in the Old Testament, we see when the Jewish people, when Israel was not obedient unto God, what was God's reaction? Did He continue to bless them in the same way? What did He do? We kind of talked about it last week, how Israel was dispersed, right, throughout all nations. So he would take away, right, that, that promise, that land of Canaan, right, and flush them out. And when they would repent and they would get right with their worship of him, he would bring them back, right? He would call them back. Verse 8, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And God here is speaking specifically to the line of Israel, to Isaac and Jacob and the line of the Messiah. And I will be their God. The Lord will be the God of Israel whom He chose to be His people, separating them from all other nations unto Himself to glorify Him and to be a testimony of the true God. It would be through Israel that God would reveal His glory, His presence, His providence, and plan of redemption for man. It would be through Israel that His saving grace would be revealed. Verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep My covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. So, all the following generations, this, not only this generation, but all the preceding or following, excuse me, generations shall continue to adhere to the practice of circumcision. The token of the covenant as here prescribed by God. Verse 10, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee every man-child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token. And it was a token by way of a physical mark, right? Of the covenant betwixt me and you, or between me and you. Verse 12, And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. And so right here, right, this should kind of, the, the warning signs, right, warning bells should go off in our mind. If someone is circumcised at eight days old, is that a conscious decision that they make? So we think of pedo-baptism, right? And baptizing babies and how people think this somehow saves them or adds to their faith. Yet it's not a conscious decision that they make. It's just an external act or work. And we can make a contrast or, or a comparison here to circumcision, right? This was not the purpose of circumcision to justify or to save. 
Right, verse 12 here, the Bible goes on to say, Every man-child in your generation shall be circumcised in perpetuity until the Messiah came who fulfilled the law, right? He fulfilled circumcision and the law. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed, he that is born in the house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh or visible in your flesh, he hath broken, if it's not, right? I'm sorry, skipped ahead here. For an everlasting covenant, verse 14, and the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh is of his, uh, flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall shall be cut off from his people, or in other words, treated as a heathen, and cut off from the promises of Israel, right? He hath broken my covenant. Alright, so here the Bible speaks of not just your children, but if you had hired hands or uh, slaves and so forth, they would also um, be required to submit to this covenant. So in a spiritual sense, Abraham is the father of all that believe since God made his covenant with Abraham. Out of every nation of the world, circumcised or uncircumcised, having received the same faith as Abraham. Let's turn to Romans 4, verse 11. Let's prove this from the Scriptures. And we are going to have to, we're getting near that time, so. Romans 4, 11. And he received the sign of circumcision. Abraham received the command or decree of circumcision from God, which was a sign or token in itself of the covenant God made with Abraham and his posterity. The promise that God would multiply Abraham's natural seed, bless them with the land of Canaan, and many other temporal blessings. But there was a massive, Spiritual implication as well. He would be their God. Abraham and his descendants. He would be their God whom all spiritual blessings would flow and from whom the Messiah would come as well. So the Bible says here, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal or an assurance of the righteousness of Faith. So Abraham was righteous. And he was righteous by what? Circumcision? By faith. Of the righteousness of faith which he had yet. In other words, the faith that Abraham already possessed. The Bible even clearly says here, being uncircumcised. So when Abraham was uncircumcised, Abraham was not saved by circumcision, but was already saved, having been called by God's effectual grace and made righteous through faith in him prior to his circumcision. Let's look at a couple other verses from Scripture. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place, 
Notice here, what, is it, what does the Bible say? By faith, right? What else does the Bible say here? By faith, when he was what? Called. When he was called by God to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. Remember that? Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldees and God called him out the land of Canaan. Well, why did Abraham do this? Because God had given him faith to do it. He had called Abraham. Genesis 15.6 And he, speaking of Abraham, believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. What was counted to Abraham for righteousness? Circumcision? Faith, right? So circumcision was a confirmation or a sign of Abraham's justifying righteousness, which he had already received from the Lord by faith. And Romans 4.11 goes on to say that he... Abraham might be the father of all them that believe. So not just the believing Jew, but all who would believe. Though they be not circumcised. Teaching us that circumcision, again, is not necessary for justification. That righteousness might be imputed unto them, or charged to the account of, imputed unto them, the uncircumcised also. Circumcision was a visible sign and visible pledge, a spiritual covenant to Abraham and his posterity that all who believed would be justified. The covenant of circumcision between God and Abraham was also a sign and seal that the righteousness of faith which Abraham possessed while he was yet uncircumcised would come upon the uncircumcised Gentiles in the times of the Messiah when the Gospel was preached unto them. Circumcision was typical. It was a type, right? It was typical of Christ's pain and suffering and, his satisfa- and the satisfaction Christ would make for sin by the effusion or the shedding of His blood on the cross to cleanse us from all the impurity of original and actual sin. It also represented the circumcision of the heart and salvation by, remo- by renouncing one's own righteousness, which is outward, right? For an inward and spiritual righteousness wrought of God and not of man. Righteousness, the Bible tells us, is imputed by the righteousness of Christ, which is received by His grace through faith by the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to close now, but I'll close with this quote from John Gill. The blood of Christ is the seal, and the only seal of the covenant of grace, by which its promises and blessings are ratified and confirmed. And the Holy Spirit is the only earnest pledge, seal, and sealer of the saints until the day of redemption. And to that, I say amen. Praise God. All right, let's pray. Father.
Indeed, we just thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you for salvation through faith by your grace. We thank you for saving us from hell and eternity apart from you. And We pray if there's anybody here that's depending upon some external work other than salvation by faith and faith alone, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would bring them to true, sincere, biblical repentance for their sin and give them saving faith right now. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for giving us this precious book. We thank you for the covenant. We have a better covenant than Abraham. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.